Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison. <laughs> this is podcast without an audience. I we're, didn't expect you to start. <laughs> you said you were ready. I know, I know. <laughs> we're two friends who pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. I was just blowing my nose really <laughs> uh, sweetly and cutely. How are you? How was your week? It's great. It's great. Um, I do not remember anything that has happened. That's okay. In fact. Me neither. Time is a social construct and it's not real. 100%. I was just having this philosophical conversation with Ray earlier about like what we, well, it's, I don't even remember how it started, but I was looking at Obi and wondering like what religion he practices, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in his personal time. And uh, I was like, well, Dolly's Catholic. Like she just is. Oh yeah. She's very good. She's very regal. Like, yeah. you can tell that she appreciates the pomp and circumstance of Catholicism. She, she loves a ritual, you know? Sure. And so I thought that that would be good for her. But Obi, I determined, was non denominational. He believes in something he just doesn't quite know. He would really love a youth pastor with tattoos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, long hair who plays the acoustic guitar. That's right. Ideally. That's like Evanescence. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that meme? It was like a, a cool youth pastor starter pack from the 90s and it, or early 2000. It was like this, the patch, the, uh-huh. the necklace with like the balls. You know yep, what I mean? Yep. Uh, you know. The like converses. The converse, like the wide leg jeans. Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. The acoustic totally guitar. Had one. It's the acoustic guitar for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Ha- yeah, I think that's like a prereq. You have to. You have to at least attempt. Yeah. But and you've now got me wondering what like Oliver would be. I feel like Oliver. So I was going to ask, you know, that's true. I, I will ask him when I get home. But my gut tells me that he's like a recovering Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. Like he's got some religious trauma for Seen sure. Some shit. Yeah. And now he's just like on his healing journey mm-hmm. and believes in God, but isn't quite sure. Yeah. Like uh, any, about anything else. Yeah. There's a lot of that. I can relate. Moby, I have no idea. I'll have to ask. You I'll have to ask. So here's a transition. <laughs> <laughs> the, I remember the one thing that did happen to me this week. I went through a drive-thru. I went through Burger King because they have the Impossible Whopper. Uh-huh. I'm like, super big fan. Yeah, they're really good. They're so, so good. I don't think they're actually plant-based. They're definitely like factory-based more than anything. I was becoming hangry. Yes. Reached in the bag grabbed a Whopper and ate half of it. Mm. And then I looked around, I was like, this tastes different. Like the texture is just a little off. Mm-hmm. And also my stomach doesn't feel great. Uh-oh. Uh, looked down and sure enough, it was not the impossible Whopper. <gasps> so am I still a vegetarian? I'm now having an existential crisis. No, you are. It's okay. It's like the one time I flirted with a guy and called you to ask you if I was actually a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> I accidentally flirted with him and got a free tequila shot. And questioned everything about yeah. my life. <laughs> it's, what does this mean? <laughs> no, you're good. You're so good. Still a lesbian, still mostly vegetarian. Yeah. Cool. Honestly, you know, you do your best. Aren't Don't, we all? I know. But I, yeah, I think we all go through times in our lives where we're harder on ourselves, especially mm-hmm. with, for like stuff like being a vegan or vegetarian. Yeah. Yeah. And at a certain point, you just got to do your best. Who needs a therapist when you have a podcast? There we go. 
right? We're going to be fine. Like, we could just sit here for an hour and a half and talk about healing and being fine even after you eat a Whopper. Also, my stomach was not thrilled yeah. for, like, a day. That's happened to me. I I get food poisoning all the time somehow, but it's I don't think it's ever from cross-contamination. I think it's from, like, onions. <laughs> I do. Probably. Yeah, I could see that. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I do have in the, like, hodgepodge that is this introduction, I have, <laughs> like, podcast plot twist for you. Oh, what is it? I am wearing the gray sweatpants today. You are wearing <laughs> I'm wearing just regular, like, pajim jam pants. Sure, sure. But, like, throw back to season one and the gray sweatpants. I know. These aren't your gray sweatpants, so they're not the exact same. No. And they don't have pockets. That's okay. But otherwise, you know, podcast plot twist. I love that for you. Thank you. It's it's an essential. Everybody needs it. Go get you one. Yeah. So we should have started this introduction with podcast plot twist. Then, guess what? I ate a Whopper. (laughs) Then gone back to what religion is your pet practicing behind your back because... My topic today might actually help inform what religious practice we would like to explore further for our pets. Oh. If we are to lead them down a path that's in alignment. Mm -hmm. And righteous. Sure, (laughs) sure. So that they don't need an exorcism. Are you talking about exorcisms? I'm talking about exorcisms. Stop. I've been waiting for you to do exorcisms. Oh, my God. Okay, so I can't. So, like, speaking of genres from last week... I can't watch exorcism movies. I cannot either. They're the Um, one thing I'm like, I'm not fucking with that. I've seen one. And then I was under an influence and went to a concert once and was pretty convinced that there was something demonic happening. And it totally spooked me. Yeah. So that's my personal experience. (laughs) I survived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, tell me more. Okay, so this is going to be a non-consecutive two-parter. So I can't guarantee that next week is going to be the second part of this, but it will be this season. Okay. Where I'm going to do famous exorcisms. And like famous people or famous experiences with exorcisms. Also, I was listening to a podcast because research doesn't stop when... I stop typing. Research stops when... When I say it stops. Right. (laughs) So I was listening to a podcast on the way here that added some really important context and information. And I will link that podcast. But it's not currently in my show notes, so don't let me forget. Okay. Okay. Buckle up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Social work and psychology have historically had kind of a complicated relationship with religion or spirituality. Yeah. I mean, who among us without sin is the first to throw stones and whatnot? Oh, yeah. Is that how the saying goes? Something like that. There's a house, but yeah. Yeah. And also, I think I was quoting rent for a second there. (laughs) (laughs) There's rent and a house, and that's the link. And they don't pay rent for the house, which still doesn't make any sense to me. Pay your fucking rent. They couldn't why afford are you to. Pay- they all had AIDS. They were all dying. Why? But why do they think they can live somewhere for free? It drives me. I like. I'm like. What? Uh, because housing <clears throat> should be free. Because it's a basic. Because necessity Tay of life. Diggs was there, and he's beautiful. I know. And also, Adina Menzel was there, and they're married. Like up there, we were watching Brown Sugar. They the are other no night. longer married. I know I think. they're not married anymore. Oh. So disappointing. But I, right. I asked Ray if he knew who that was. Obviously, he knows who Tay Diggs is. Sure. But um, uh, he didn't know her. And I was like, well, 
wicked frozen <laughs> blah 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 i saw her in concert in high school maybe mm-hmm. and sat next to tay diggs oh yeah who was like in the stands and we were both wearing converses oh my so God. link up there and then we're basically besties yeah yeah the fact that I did not get Adina's number really traumatizes me to this day. <laughs> okay. Missed opportune. For sure. So religious or spiritual practice is often a resiliency factor when looking at how folks recover from trauma. So like a belief in something higher than yourself is a good thing, generally speaking. Yeah. But swing too far the other way and we have cults, brainwashing, etc. And then somewhere in the middle of that spectrum is like good old fashioned religious trauma with a sprinkle of new age spirituality, right? Mm -hmm. As a whole in humanity, we tend to believe in something bigger than ourselves. Call that source, spirit, universe, Allah, God, whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. There's something bigger, theoretically. But as Star Wars taught us, life is about good versus evil. So for as long as we have believed in something bigger than ourselves that is good, we create this balance of evil. And this evil is believed to manifest in people and cause physical and mental illness, strange behaviors, and more. It can also manifest in objects or spaces. But today we're going to be talking about people because exorcisms. So this exists across multiple religions and spiritual practices. Some call them demons. Some call them jinn or genies. Mm. Thanks to Wikipedia. Bad energy, whatever you call it, exorcisms in various forms have been performed around the world since the beginning of recorded history. In fact, skulls have been found with small burr holes, which people believe were done to release demons that date back to 5000 BCE. Oh, my God. I can't even comprehend. 5000 BCE. Yeah. Me either. Also, stop poking people. Like, <laughs> you're not going to dig the demon out, you know? Right. It has to leave willingly. It's, you ask it politely. Yeah. I mean, we're joking. We're obviously going to joke about this a lot. This is a very serious matter for people who believe in demon possession. So. Got it. Stick with us here. Got it. Many of the practices associated with exorcisms, which we'll get to in a minute, have been common treatments for mental illness throughout human history. Which makes sense. We tend to make monsters out of the things we don't understand, right? Uh-huh. Don't understand <clears throat> mental illness? Must be a demon. Sure. Some guy named Wolpert in 2006 said, quote, between the years of 200 and 1700, almost all mental disorders were understood in terms of demonic possession. And even today, spirit possession is the most common explanation of problems throughout the world. So there's that. Wow. And if not demons, certainly the concept of evil is just like thrown into shit willy nilly, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, what is an exorcism? Oh, tell me. Okay. An exorcism is the religious or spiritual practice of evicting a malevolent spiritual entity from a person, area, or item believed to be possessed. Interestingly, I went into this with the assumption that other folks were the ones who would look at a person and determine if they were possessed. But in many of the articles I read, it seems that folks are self-identifying as being possessed. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we'll come back to that a little bit, but it is interesting. It is. I just going back to the space, spatial thing, like whenever I move into a new place, I always sage it. Mm Mm-hmm. I always kind of cleanse the room. That's not an exorcist, but it's the it's closest cleansing thing of, I've ever yeah. Yeah, done. Yeah, and things like that exist in most 
spiritual practices. Yeah. Like bringing candles into spaces or um, smudging or, you know, whatever it is to get rid of bad juju, hanging the evil eye, having Mm -hmm. a cross above your door, Mm -hmm. etc. We are predominantly going to focus on exorcisms and Christianity, but I will include some info about exorcisms around the world at the end. Perfect. According to a 2001 study, sorry, this data is super old, but in 2001, Protestants reported more religious delusions than Catholics. Hmm. And being a Catholic is more conducive to delusions of sin and guilt compared to Muslims. I don't know why they picked Protestant, Catholic, and Muslim and no one else, but that's what this article said. Okay. Which is interesting. In Christian practice, the exorcist, or the person performing an exorcism, is a member of the church or an individual associated with the church. They may use prayer, religious materials such as gestures, symbols, icons, amulets, holy water, praying, the crucifix, etc. And they often evoke God, Jesus, angels, or archangels to intervene with the exorcism. So in Christianity and protestant catholic exorcisms it's often like in the name of jesus right Mm -hmm. yeah the power of christ compels you right so we're gonna go down a little rabbit hole Mm. because this whole episode so far has been little rabbit holes Mm -hmm. of nonsense there's apparently only one case of demonic possession in the old testament would you like to guess who or no 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 final answer i decline (laughs) Uh, It was King Saul. Oh, okay. Yep. Good old Saul was being tormented by an evil spirit, or at least that's how the Catholic Church interpreted the Hebrew word when translating it from the Bible. So we know translation's a little iffy from time to time. Yeah, don't even get me started. Right. Um, I'm sure we can do a whole episode on, like, this one particular word and what it could mean. Mm -hmm. But Christian exorcism is founded on the belief that Jesus commanded his followers to expel evil spirits in his name. Apparently, Jesus was able to perform exorcisms and points to his ability to do so as a sign of his messiahship and empowered his disciples to do the same. I learned from an interview with an exorcist that all bishops in the Catholic Church are able to perform exorcisms and can appoint priests under them to do them as well. According to this interview, would you like to guess about how many Catholic exorcists are currently exercising in the United States? Oh, 1,500. Oh, super small number compared to yours. 11. (laughs) 125. (laughs) So like right in the middle. You were so close. (laughs) We could go into each of the Christian denominations to see what they believe in practice, but I'm just going to do a overview of like some of the major ones. Yeah, just keep it surface. For sure, because we're going to go deep down in the second part of this. Perfect. Yeah. Right. Also, my foot's asleep. I know, mine is too. I feel slightly possessed. <laughs> Please, if you're going to be possessed, if you could leave my this feet house. alone. No, like go away from me. Ah, sorry. And where I sleep. Oh, sure. Do you wake up in the night and, and like, think that you're going to see somebody? Uh, I have a lot of nightmares, so, mm-hmm. yes. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember, like, or have you ever heard, um, like, a witch or a demon riding you at night? Like, R- when you wake up and, like, riding you can't move? Or writing? 
riding, like sitting on top of you? No. I remember hearing this when I was in like middle school or high school and like people were in my classes were explaining this phenomenon of waking up in the middle of the night and essentially being paralyzed. Uh-huh. Like they couldn't move. Yeah. Sleep paralysis is a real, yeah, real thing. Yeah. But they like associated it with like dark magic or demons. And being ridden by a Yeah. Demon? Like having someone ri- riding on their chest. I'm thinking of it as like a sex thing. It was, I don't think it was intended to be a sex thing. Okay. It may have been intended to be a sex thing. I did not read it as such <laughs> when I was in middle or high school. <laughs> what the fuck? That's so, that's weird. Yeah. But I was like, someone sitting on you or writing you. I don't remember. Sitting on you would make more sense, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, th- let's go with that. Because writing is just like... Sexual? Yeah. Or maybe I'm just making it like that. I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> Scary Movie 500 will feature uh, sleep paralysis and a witch. Got it. Writing Scary it. Movie 300 just had the Spartans. So I think that's a good sequel. Perfect. For that. That was a bad joke. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's start with the Baptists, because why not? A very good place to start. Yes, I'm going to read their official stance. Oh, good. On Thank God. I've been waiting for them to tweet about this, and they don't. <laughs> uh, I heard that their Twitter's down, so that might mm. have something to do with it. Okay, here's their official stance. Quote, they have a belief in the existence, malevolence, and power of the devil and demons. Checks out. Yeah. About these things, the New Testament, in order to deny the existence of these evil forces and beings, there may have been a typo in that sentence. At the same time, we must recognize quickly that the devil and demons are not in accord with the powers often ascribed to them in the popular piety. The devil is indeed a threat. The New Testament is also clear that very real cases of demonic possession were encountered by Jesus and his followers. Okay. Question. Does do the Baptist have like a PR person that's like, listen, you got to get a statement out on where you stand on, <laughs> on exorcisms, and two, so they're like, okay, we know that demons aren't. So wh- the way I interpret this is like, demons aren't exactly what we perceive them to be, but we do believe in right possession. I think that that's what they're saying. Yes, perfect. So as a result of this theology, Baptists see the what quote weapons of warfare as spiritual. And the powers that the forces of darkness most fear are the name of Jesus, the authority of the Bible, and the power of his gospel. Yeah, I do know that exorcisms work pretty well with Christian, like Christian exorcisms. Theology, yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk more about why they work. Oh, Or okay. don't work. Okay. But I oh, want to, God, like, can you imagine them not working? That sucks. Oh, and it happens all the time. So the guy Sheesh. in the podcast I was just listening to and I pulled up has done like 800,000 ep- uh, exorcisms or something. What? I'll tell you his name in a second. And he was like, yeah, sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't work. I'm what like, the fuck? Yeah, he also got beaten with a two by four by a demon that he could not see. So shit's huh. wild. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to the Catholicism. I don't okay. know why that was so hard to say. Oracle. Oracle. Catholicism. Exorcism is a sacramental, but not sacrament, right? Unlike baptism or confession, which are sacraments. Unlike a sacrament, exorcisms, quote, their integrity and efficacy do not depend on the rigid use of an unchanging formula or on the ordered sequence of pre prescribed action. 
actions. Its efficacy depends on two elements, the authorization from valid and illicit church authorities and the faith of the exorcist. The faith of the exorcist. Oh, the demon? No, the the one who's the, doing it has to have exorcist. a strong faith. Got yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. So they're like, listen, it's a sacred thing. But unlike baptism and confession, which are like very ritualized and always the same, exorcisms can't be because every demon is different. Yeah. You need like a decision tree. Like <laughs> that SOP looks very different than right. the others, I'm sure. But still a sacred, you know, ritual. Yeah. Is everybody so you said there's like a hundred ish a hundred ish just catholics so there are more for other religions right 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 but there's you know a million catholics sure so so every bishop in the catholic church is automatically able to be an exorcist or like goes through training to be an exorcist got it i don't know how many bishops are in catholic churches but like there's the church and then they have their preachers and then above them is the bishops and and the the hierarchy and then the people and then all the people so bishops can appoint priests to also perform exorcisms and some of those priests are very open about whether or not they do it and others are much more secretive got it so because they hate it they're like what's the least what's your least favorite part of your job i don't know bill Fucking having to do exorcisms, all getting the time. demons out of people. Yeah, like, can you imagine how scary that is? It's got to be terrifying because you believe it so strongly, and they believe it so. Like the person or the family that you're doing the exorcism for believes it. You believe it. Like whether or not it's literally a demon becomes irrelevant at some point like that shit just has to be scary oh my god i'm not religious and i'm not fucking with an exorcist hell no some like no like possession me no no (laughs) no 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 no, it's a hard pass for me things we will not be doing yeah so then we have eastern orthodoxy and they believe demonic activity is the devil's primary means of corrupting humanity and rebelling against god Which checks out, right? Like, that makes sense to me. All right. Then we have Methodism. The Methodists. The Methodists. I grew up a Methodist. I did, too. (gasps) Did I know this about you? I don't think so. (gasps) What? Carrie Ann. Allison. Did you do confirmation? I did. I absolutely did, too. Yeah. I was asking Ray about that. He said he he didn't think so. Oh, no, I did. I went through all the classes, Mm -hmm. went to uh, Lake Junaleska. Cool. Junaleska, something. Oh, you went into the, you got rebaptized in the lake? I didn't get rebaptized. I got confirmed there, though. So you dunked? You got the dunk? No. 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 It you was just, just like you're given like lake. this thing and like. So you didn't touch the water? No. Do they? It was it, like a retreat center. Do they put, they put water in your hands? I think. I don't actually remember. I think I blocked some of this out. I don't. I, I. I don't think I did any. I think there was water for me, but I did not get to go to the lake. I had to go. I was the last person in my group. Oh. So I had to sit through everybody else graduate. Right. Sure. So have you heard about like the Methodist Church branch branching off? Like, there's now going to be two the Wesleyans. There. They've already done that. Okay. So this is a new thing. Oh, now? I think. Yeah. Okay. So my home church has like regularly about 20 people who attend. 
At least they did what? last time I was there. It's super, super small. Yeah, it is. Um, middle of nowhere. They're like, you got to tithe 50% if you're going to a church with For sure. <laughs> the church apparently recently called all the members, like on the books members, and said that they were going to be debating this past Sunday about separating from the actual like United Methodist Church and like doing their own thing or what, because the Methodist Church is wanting to recognize LGBTQ folks. Oh, okay. This does sound familiar. Yeah. So it's a whole big thing. And the, my, the Methodist Church does want to? Yes. Okay. I think. 99% sure. Well, I mean, recognize them how? Like, allow them to come and, like, do communion and... and like, fucking exist and Like, shit. be members of the church and... Whoa. Fucking exist. So my dad called me and was telling me about this and he was like i don't think i've ever felt more compelled to go to a church meeting than this one Mm -hmm. and he was like i just feel deeply like i need to share about the humanity of the lgbtq people and like their deservingness yeah and to advocate for current and future members of the church who are lgbtq like my dad is amazing i know he is it was so sweet i love that and that's like happening now yeah (gasps) yeah That's like, I need to call him and find out how it went, actually. Okay. Uh, I might do that on the way home. So stay tuned, and I'll update you. Okay. But the Methodist Church are, is basically like, listen, there are three possibilities, and we're fine with all of them. Okay. So here are their three views. They either involves the, one, casting out of an objective power of evil, which has gained the possession of a person. Okay. Two, exorcism is a necessary or at least an effective psychological means of reassuring those who believe themselves to be possessed. Oh, interesting. Right? Okay. Or three, since demons do not exist, exorcism would be inappropriate since what is to be dealt with is a false belief. Wait, that's the Methodists who think that? Yeah. So they basic they have like three options and they're like, it's up to the church. Your individual church, you as a Methodist so can decide. One of them is that demons don't exist? Basically, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And you just get to pick your favorite? For sure. Weird. I wonder if it's like a case-by-case basis thing. This can't be like a for always and everything because the second one is very specific. Like, I'm exercising you because you truly believe that you're exercised. But that could be like a mental illness. Sure. Or mental health thing. So, wow. That's fascinating. Isn't it so interesting how each of these churches kind of has this different view? And also that Methodists are like, all three can be true. Yeah. Fine with us. Also, let the gays in. (laughs) Let them in. So one of the things that stands out to me is that people who are thought to be possessed are often not regarded as evil themselves, nor are they responsible for their actions. That is true. I like that. I never thought of it, but that is 100% according to the Exorcist movies that I have seen. Or have not seen, but know of. Or have not seen, but have been told about. That checks out. Right. They believe that another spiritual entity is manipulating the person to harm themselves or others, and therefore, they view exorcisms as a cure rather than a punishment, mm-hmm. which is super fascinating, because yeah. I had not thought about it in that way yeah. prior to writing my notes. 100%. But it's true, and I like that they are able to say your actions are not directly connected to who you are as a person. Yeah. And I wish we could do that more across the board. That's like, true. Like, 
people's actions, the things that they do or say, do not necessarily reflect who they are as a person. Yeah. Let's give everyone more grace. How about that? Okay. Beautiful. In 2005, a poll found that 68% of Americans believe in the devil. Okay. I believe that. Which was validated by three other surveys that also came up with almost the exact same number. They're like, we can't make it 69, so let's bump it down to 68%. Because 69 would be dirty. Like, the witch riding you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) According to a YouGov study in 2021, 41% of Americans believe in ghosts, and 43% believe that demons exist. Only 41% of people believe in ghosts? I think that's a low number. I My guess is that people are like, mm, I don't want to tell you I believe in ghosts. Well, what is a demon if not an evil ghost? So ghosts are secular, demons are religious, and if you put them together, you have almost 100%. I'm going to say that's fact. That's but, my math. Okay. So, okay. I accept it. Mm-hmm. I don't accept it. You don't accept it? No. Okay. We'll work on it. Okay. So a research study was done and included four interviews or four p- people, participants. Oh, that's two a huge men, study. Okay. Super big study. Two were men and two were women who had schizophrenia. So they were diagnosed with a mental illness of schizophrenia and also concluded that they themselves were possessed. Mm. So there's not a lot of research on this. Like mental illness and possession, like most religions really like to keep these things separate. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in a second too. So there's limited research, but this is what I found. Three themes came out of these interviews. One, there was a link between traumatic experiences and psychotic symptoms. Checks out. That's true for a lot of like mental illnesses. Two, the emergence of religious themes and delusional content. So they all had this. And three, reluctance to use medical treatment and instead to seek an exorcism. So all three of these people said, yes, they had traumatic experiences. They now have psychotic symptoms. They all agreed on religious delusional content. And they were all reluctant to use medical treatment and instead to seek an exorcism. Well, if your symptoms are religious, like if, if... your, if you view them as being, or like your delusions are religious, correct? Yeah, then I that makes sense because yeah. the it's that the medicine that's the cure, right? So there are generally three types of religious delusions. Oh, there's religious themes like prayer, sin, or possession. So like possession in your body for sure, but also like harp harping on or obsessing over prayer and sin. Mm-hmm. Two, religious figures, so delusions about God, Jesus, the devil, or another prophet. And three, delusions or hallucinations about the supernatural, so black magic, spirits, demons, being bewitched, ghosts, sorcery, or voodoo. Hmm. So, keep that in mind. Got it. What's interesting here is that their beliefs about their experiences were supported by their environment And all four of these individuals who were schizophrenic and also believed themselves to be possessed sought spiritual help. Spiritual communities and religious communities are often considered a resilience factor. So, like, they recognized that they were mentally ill. They were maybe even diagnosed prior to going to their religious community, went there seeking resilience, like seeking a support system. 
However, they often were delayed uh, diagnostic assessments and treatment. So they went to the church, and then the church either did not advise them to seek diagnostic assessments or treatment, or they did not feel like they needed it at that point. Okay. And then they used religious coping strategies that were provided to them with, in addition to having a sense of social support and predictability. My note is, like, to what extent did this actually help them heal? So, like, they are being provided with prayer and support and, like, a predictable schedule, which are all things that individuals need, especially those who are experiencing mental health crises. There's super limited research on delusions of possession, which is a subcategory of religious delusions. And because of that, we don't really know where the overlap exists. What we do know is that these delusions may be accompanied by other hallucinations, such as olfactory, like your sense of smell, um, or hypochondrical, so you might like believe other things are wrong with you, a depressive mood, suicidal or homicidal tendencies. As we know, these are serious conditions and are often triggered by trauma. Patients with these symptoms often report higher rates of childhood sexual trauma and have higher dissociation scores and other trauma experiences. So there's a lot of concern among critics of exorcisms that possession is often undiagnosed mental illness and the performance of an exorcism can in fact exacerbate the, the condition. Yeah. So like there are people out there who have experienced an exorcism who are like, oh my gosh, this healed me. And they believe it so fully. Like they believe they were possessed. They had a priest or someone come out, perform an exorcism, and they are now, they believe themselves to be healed from this condition. There are also people who had undiagnosed mental illness or even diagnosed mental illness who, for whom like have repeated exorcisms and they don't work. Right. And like, what could that do to your psyche? Well, not right? only that, but it's it's putting a Band-Aid on something where they need other types of treatment. Like an, exorcist, an exorcism is really great if you're possessed by a demon. Right. But it's not good for anything else, right? Right. right. And I think there's some piece of this that's like, what do, what do you believe is wrong? So we're going to get into like the cultural nuances of that a little bit, because we as a Western society see this a little differently than non-Western cultures. Got it. So hold that thought. But much of the research goes into schizophrenia, psychosis, etc. You can see the overlap, but I don't want to get too far from how Christian exorcisms are performed. So a person either self-identifies or is identified as needing an exorcism. Mm -hmm. According to the priest, hang on, let me grab his name for you. Archbishop Ronald Enright from Stories of the Supernatural podcast. So a little bit about him. He has performed over 880,000 rituals involving demonic possessions, assessments, and demonic investigations over the past 41 years. Wow. He discusses this in his new book, quote, The Exorcist's Secret Journal, Concealed Cases of Diabolical Activities and Demonic Possession. So he says that his process is he finds out that someone needs an exorcism. They're usually referred to him. And it's a six-month process from that point. Oh, wow. So he asks people to go to their medical doctor, to go to a psychologist or psychiatrist, like rule out all the things. Yeah. So he says he does not do exorcisms on people who have mental health issues or other issues that might explain their strange behavior. Great. 
We love that. Love that. But still, to have performed 880,000 exorcisms, like, and we know that a lot of these exorcisms are, like, the Venn diagram between demonic possession and mental illness exists. Yeah. And is it a circle? I don't know. But, like, to have performed that many. Yeah, I don't have my calculator, but I'm trying to think about how many per year. A lot. Yeah. Where Where is he located? California. Okay. Also kind of strange. Yeah. He used is. to live in New York. Oh, well, you got to do both coasts. He gets around. Yeah. So he does all this like background work, preliminary work, and then he performs the exorcism. So this includes prayers, ritual, like sayings and prayers, holy water, laying of hands, prayer beads. He uses the uh, crucifix. He calls, he asks the demon to give him their name. He asks them when they're going to leave. And there was like a third question. But he basically asks the demon all these questions. And eventually the demon has to answer. And once he does, once he has his name, he can call on Jesus to remove the demon from the person that he's exercising. Wow. Yeah. And then wash, rinse, and repeat as needed. Sheesh. Are demons always men? Do demons have a gender? Well, demons are fallen angels, right? Right. And angels, according to the like, yeah. Bible, were men, right? Or genderless. I don't or remember. Or genderless. I mean, gender's a social construct, too. But it's important to note that mainstream rituals truly see this as more of a cure than a punishment and do try to make sure that there is no violence to the possessed and only that they be tied down if there is a potential for violence. So, like, it's not like in the movies where... It's like super violent on the ceiling. Right. And people are getting thrown around. And I mean, I'm sure there's some of that probably, but it's not as violent as it's portrayed in in the movies. So here's a super cool thing I learned. The DSM-4, so we're Mm -hmm. currently in the DSM-5, had a classification for, quote, culture-bound syndromes that we will come back into at a later time because I did not realize that this existed because it's random. Yeah. But it's important to note that these are only recognizable diseases within a specific society or culture. The DSM-5 removed this classification, but there were several in the DSM-4 that involved spirits and possessions. Whoa. So it's important to note that belief in spirit possession and exorcism have been documented throughout Babylonia, Nigeria, Tanzania, Greece, India, Malaysia, Indonesia, China, Tibet, Korea, New Guinea, Brazil, Haiti, etc., throughout Europe, and of course in the U.S., and basically exists in all shamanistic cultures as well. Yeah. So around the world, non-Western societies believe that mental and bodily illnesses are like one and the same, and they also believe that natural and supernatural, or that there can be natural and supernatural causes of these illnesses. I think we talked about this book before, but. The book, The Spirit Catches You When You Fall Down, looks at this kind of like supernatural cause for an illness. And in that case, it was family from Laos, and their daughter had epilepsy, but they believed that it was her spirit leaving and returning to her body. Oh. So like they had this very spiritual like context for what was happening to her, and therefore like didn't treat her with medications in the way that a Western society would, because we have just different understandings of what was happening to her. Right. This would have been probably more accepted in the DSM-4 under this like culture-bound syndrome. 
That's wild. Yeah. I understand why they would take that out, though, for the exact reasons you just discussed. Like, you know, it being a Band-Aid for needing other treatment. Well, that and who's, I mean, I think modern medicine is amazing. And, like, obviously, I'm fully supportive. But also, I don't know what non-Western societies have going on and the ways that they treat different things. Like, obviously, it's worked for them for thousands of years. So I also, like, try to be wary of saying you need to solve your problems the way that we do in the U.S., even though I feel like we have a pretty advanced medical system, though maybe not as advanced as Europe's. But I don't know. Like, I just, I, I could make an argument for either side. So the leap from medicine to energy work is like one and the same in most places around the world. So in Buddhism, there's a Buddhist practice of reciting certain verses and scriptures to ward off misfortune and danger. Kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Oh, this is my like run through of shit around the world. (laughs) Tibetan Buddhism has the ritual of, quote, exercising ghost day as part of their tradition. And it's on the 29th day of the 12th month of the Tibetan calendar. So just before they start their new year and has a focus on driving out all negativity, including evil spirits and misfortunes. Czar possession is common among many North African and Middle Eastern uh, countries. And suso or soul loss is an illness that is said to result from the soul leaving the body in Latin cultures and for people from Mexico, Central America and South America. Also, fun fact, there are places online where you can recess or request an exorcism from the archdiocese. Oh, wow. And How does that come to you? Uh, I did not do it because I was afraid of it. Yeah, yeah. So stay tuned. Don't Maybe fix we'll come it back if to it's it not at some broken. Point. You know, if you're right. not possessed, you know, it's like taking antibiotics. You don't want to get used you know. <laughs> Right, right. And then when you really need it, it's not there. Yeah, so I didn't really know how to wrap it up. So I was just leaving you with a fun fact, which is... You can request an exorcism from the Archdiocese online, and I'm really thrilled to not have to say exorcism anymore. (laughs) I wonder where the archetype of the twisty bobcat pretzel people with the exorcism, like the the weird bending of the body. Yeah, so like convulsions and contortions, I think. That's the word. Yeah. There's some connection between like muscle spasms maybe that have just kind of been blown up to look like this thing in movies. I think there's also like people may genuinely behave strangely when they're experiencing an exorcism. Yeah. Did you ever see the exorcist? Did I what? The original? Uh, No, ma'am, I did not. So Ray and I tried to watch it not that long ago and it was a little bit boring. Like it's slow. Mm -hmm. It's a really slow start, but that movie has like a really terrible, like, track record of people dying and like yeah horrible things happening i've heard about that i know better than like my whole stance on just religion just anything in general is like just believe whatever you want to believe that's where that's i am so great for you like i'm super stoked about yeah. that for you i am gonna err on the side of caution for some things mm-hmm. and be like i'm not gonna fuck with the exorcisms sure. you know i i i got you like i'm not I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why would we poke the bear? Why would we poke the bear? Uh, I don't whether want a or not demon we... riding me at night. Right. Whether or not we believe it, we still want to see it or get too close because gross. Because 
Ew. 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 Ah, good job. I'm so glad you you finally did that. It's so fascinating. Me too. Stay tuned for part two to come later. TBD. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're talking about some history. And we're back. Okay, so for this week, I got a lot of my information from this wonderful French TV special that I will also link in my show notes. But I'm going to be talking about this, this, it's, it's a historical concept and event that you've probably never heard of. It's called the French campaign on Egypt and Syria. I don't want what anybody to fuck? get like deterred by the fact that they've never (laughs) heard of it because it's fascinating okay okay so on may 19th 1790 in toulon france four thousand soldiers that's terrible and ten thousand sailors and 200 scientists (gasps) met at the docks of a to, to board a ship and they had zero idea of its destination Okay, I am hooked. Way to start off. Way to start off. And the scientists? There's like a gazillion people and a handful of scientists, yeah. Okay. So England and France had been sworn enemies since the French Revolution. France had introduced French commander Napoleon Bonaparte, mm-hmm. ever heard of him, to invade the, England. He was a super tall guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Extremely tall. like Biggest hands. Biggest hands. Never seen Just hands ask anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, France, you know, France had this idea that they were going to invade England, but Napoleon had a different plan, and it was to invade colonies elsewhere, which basically would would kind of kill France where it hurts, right? If you invade other lands that either France has or England has their eye on, or that are already colonies, mm. then. It's a I little see. less obvious. So that was kind of kind of the plan. Right. So it's like little sister is not taking the toy you're playing with, but it's going to take all the other toys around you. Exactly. Okay, exactly. I'm with you. So, and it was really strategic. So the, the reason that nobody knew where they were going was because they couldn't fuck up this mission. Right? So nobody could know the destination of the ship. Because they'd fuck it up. Yeah, because they'd he fuck it up. He didn't trust them. So therefore, the members who signed up for this journey were very heroic and like they had to have been really brave to have gone on this this journey without any idea of of where they'd end up brave or desperate like probably a little bit of both sure but you can imagine like the excitement and intrigue like the energy on the boat must have been uh, for sure yeah but the destination of the ship do you want to guess i'm gonna go with either egypt or syria Okay. It was in the title. That's a good guess. Thank you. Egypt. Oh, okay. Good. (laughs) Great job. Um, So so this was a 400-ship expedition. So it's not subtle. So when you gave all these numbers, like, in my mind, it's Noah's Ark, and all these people are on one ship. No, no, no. Okay. Different time. Gotcha. A little bit later. Okay. So, yeah, there was, like, a ton of ships. So, and, of course, it was led by Napoleon. Mm Mm-hmm. Napoleon himself had kind of grown through the ranks during the French Revolution, and at just 29 years old, 
His goal was to make a historical splash similarly to Caesar and Alexander the Great. The ships headed south out of France through the Mediterranean without running into any British ships. So this was a good start. Mm -hmm. The trip was going so well, in fact, that they were able to make a small stop on an island on the island of Malta. So a lot of the scholars ended up getting off the ship at this stop because basically out of fear of the unknown. And honestly, I can't, I can't blame them. They were on a boat for like two weeks and they're like, get me the fuck out of here. Also, isn't Malta beautiful? Yeah. Like I could definitely say like, Hey, I'm gonna hit your ride. Sign up for whatever. Yeah. Get to this pretty island. Like y'all have fun. Peace. I'm gonna hang here. Peace up. Peace up. A-Town down. <laughs> that song is still around. I know. It's I'm great. Like, it's a hundred years old. That's my favorite joke, actually, is when it's playing in a restaurant. I, like, turn to somebody and I'm like, can you believe that this song turned a hundred this year? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the conditions on the boat are different for the scholars and the soldiers. The soldiers were kept below deck, 80 to a room with only a hammock. A single hammock for 80 people? <laughs> No, they're not having a giant hammocks? orgy. No, they each get their own hammock. Did you ever read the book, Did Pirates Have Take Baths? Was it along Did the same line as, like, uh, do vampires that? drive school buses? Maybe. Anyway, they, they slept in hammocks. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> While the scholars, um, they had access to the deck uh, of the ship and additional luxuries uh, and also food. So... Well, those are good things. (laughs) Better pizza, Papa Papa John's. John's. Five weeks into the journey, the news is officially announced that the ship is heading towards Egypt. Are they, like, worried someone's going to pull out a cell phone and call and be like, yo, hey. uh, I don't know. You can, you know, there's birds. You just, you know, Hedwig comes, you tie the note, and then, I mean. Sure. I don't know. Messages in a bottle, I've heard, are very accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the land of the pharaohs at this time is seen as the start of civilization. Well, at any time, and it is the start of civilization. Yeah, for sure. And the news is met with enthusiasm for all parties on board. Everybody's like, fuck yeah, we're going to Egypt. They can't wait to fight England, and the scholars can't wait to discover something. They're like, oh yeah, we're going to discover shit. Speaking of Egyptian discoveries. Yes. Did you hear that they found a new tomb that has a, uh, like royal person that they did not have in like the egyptian history timeline so Hmm. now they're having to rewrite some of egyptians history to like factor this new pharaoh in cool yeah i like that you know sometimes you don't get it right the The first time time. no i mean it's ancient history for a reason like Mm -mm. we aren't perfect and they didn't keep great notes necessarily well well the island or the library of alexandria probably would have told us about that yeah, well, R.I.P. Claiming Egypt as a French territory would mean that they would have control over the Mediterranean. So think about trade. Like, that would have been huge for them. Sure. Um, and, of course, it would have allowed them to create a canal that could cut through Egypt, allowing them to sail directly from France through the Mediterranean, through Egypt, and then through to the other side to India. Wow. That would have been huge. Yeah, absolutely. The scholars are needed because there would need to be infrastructure put in place to support something like this. So building a canal would require people. 
It would require French architects, folks to irrigate the land and help out all of the, you know, the French living, you know, it would try to help them live in this brand new climate. Yeah. Colonize it. Colonize it. that's always gone well for the indigenous and people who currently live there. After six weeks at sea, I mean, just like, God, it just makes me so sick thinking about it. They finally reached the shore of Egypt. The seas are so rough that the scholars are not permitted to leave the boat until the next day. The other soldiers are forced into smaller boats in the water to go to the shore. Mm-hmm. One boat crashes into the rocks and sinks to the bottom of the ocean. The first objective is to take the city of Alexandria, which was the second largest city in the country. Mm-hmm. Napoleon comes prepared with a pamphlet that explains that he's here to help uh, vindicate and save the Egyptian people from the Manaluks, or Manaluks, the group that had held power for over five centuries. So he's like, I've got a pamphlet. Would you like to read it? Would you like to read it? Even though they're French. Hear ye, hear ye. I have a pamphlet. <laughs> I have a pamphlet. He was not welcomed with open arms. You don't say. But taking the city was fairly easy. The French were not thrilled with the city of Alexandria, though. So Egypt at this time is, I mean, even now, it's like this mystical, mythical place that is full of history, you know, and at this time, nobody knew anything about it. Right. Um, So, but they did have high hopes. So they roll into Alexandria, and they're met with like disease and poverty, and uh, they were not as impressed as they as they thought that they would be. They're, they just set their expectations too high. Right. Ignorance. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know. Um, so once they conquered Alexandria, the next step is Cairo. So if they were to, if you were to take the trip today from Alexandria to Cairo, it is a three hour drive. Okay. So it's far when you're walking. Sure. You know? Yeah. Like uh, a couple of days. In the desert. It's hot. It's hot. No um, water. Well, yeah, we'll kind of get to it, actually. Oh, okay. The majority of the soldiers are instructed to go towards Cairo. The others, along with the majority of the scientists, are told to go to Rosetta, a much closer and safer journey. Another group was told to go to Dominita. The road to Cairo had a few options. So they could take the path by the Nile, which would lead them by the waterway. Were any of the options made of yellow brick? None of them were made of yellow brick. Well, that Um, narrows it down. So the road that would take them by the Nile would take way longer. And so, and they would also be seen. Mm -hmm. So they needed to go the more stealth, faster route, which was through the desert. Mm Mm-hmm. So the next day, on foot, the soldiers head out into the desert and the burning sand in their wool uniforms. <laughs> and none of the soldiers are carrying water. Um, so, of course, many soldiers and many cattle animals die on this journey. And they finally reach the bank of the Nile and many soldiers throw themselves into the water. And probably some of them got eaten by crocodiles. I did just add that, but it's <laughs> entirely possible. I'm saying here, I used to know a joke about the Nile and being in denial. Yeah. I don't remember the whole joke, though. So just imagine that I delivered this perfectly. Denial's not just a river in Egypt. There you go. That wasn't... That's close. Yeah, we'll take... Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) 
Far, far away from the suffering of the soldiers, the scholars have found the beautiful land of Rosetta, where they explore their surroundings, read, drink, be merry. They are fascinated by the animals and the plant life that they found, and they even discovered a, bur- a buried statue called the Fist of Isis. The French soldiers continued to march on their way to Cairo. The Mamelukes, the rulers of Egypt during this time, are formerly enslaved people who were converted to Islam and then were emancipated. Oh, fascinating. So there were two different subgroups within the Mamelukes, and and both parties show up to cut off the French before they can reach Cairo. Mm -hmm. So even though they're they're conflicting, Mm -hmm. they don't get along. Um, they're, they're showing up to defeat this third party. Right. The French are outnumbered. Outmanned. Mm-hmm. Chica pla. And Napoleon decided to use something called the military square technique, which has its soldiers all, you know, on all sides of a square with goods and military leaders in the middle of these squares. This seems like a bad idea. It's actually a really good idea. Was it a really good idea? It is a good idea. Um, because they can move the squares around and basically, like, surround them. Oh. So it's not just one big square. There's a bunch of different big squares. Oh, I, okay. So you divide up your your folks, put your shit in the middle, and then it all moves around. Okay. See, I was imagining, like, this Monty Python-esque <laughs> approach where it's just, like, these men standing in a single uh-huh. square with all their stuff in the middle saying, na na boo boo you can't have it. No, no, no. Nope, they are moving about. Moving a boot. So the squares were 2,000 soldiers per square in a two to six row depth. Okay. okay. The Mamelukes use sabers, riding horses, and they are highly skilled in hand-to-hand combat. So they launch their charge, and the French army begin to surround and attack on both ends through the square strategy. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, the French have guns. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah. Right. So the French lose only 30 soldiers and the Mamelukes lose about 20,000 men. Shit. Yes. Talk about being outnumbered, don't man. I know. Napoleon later calls this battle the Battle of the Pyramids. The two Egyptian armies disappear and retreat, naturally, and Cairo is taken by the French. Napoleon rides into Cairo and tries to portray himself as the hero, the one who saved the Egyptian people. Don't you love that? I do. You know, love when a white man, you know, when a white man does that. When a white man does a white man thing. <sighs> so, but it's a little bit of a culture shock for him too. So he quickly forms a council, which would help make Cairo more French. Mm. Two weeks after France takes Cairo, both of the on the other side of the country, the shores between Alexandria and Rosetta become a battle scene between the French and the British. So the British finally catch up to them and they're like, we know where you are. Mm-hmm. The British have finally caught up with the French and attack the French ships. So this is all happening on the water. Unfortunately, all the French ships were tied together. I don't know why. That was dumb. And they couldn't get loose from each other, so they had to fight while they were anchored. The British vessels break into the two, like, break into two groups surrounding the French ships, hitting them from all sides. So they did the square tactic, but on water. Basically. And it was the British, not the oh, French. Yeah. Many of the ships exploded because of the gunpowder on board, and the French ultimately lose their fleet, stranding the entire French army in Egypt. This is not going to go well for the French. 
(sighs) Can you imagine being stranded six weeks on a boat? Okay, you don't know how long you're going to be there. You're going to need to send 400 more ships to come get all these people. Granted, a lot of them are going to die. And Hedwig hasn't come back with your letter from Sirius. Exactly. So you're just like chilling. Chilling. So, Standing and granted, in the square. you know, the military knows this information, but not all the soldiers do. Right. Uh, but yeah, they're stranded in, in Africa. While the intention was to come to Egypt, claim it for France, check it out, and come mm. back later to establish the internal affairs, now there was another option than to start it right away. Mm-hmm. Napoleon starts by establishing roads and modern hospitals, which is a positive. Sure. Um, he establishes a tax system and a national bank. Uh, that's because he wanted to line those pockets some more. That's exactly right. Um, his next goal is to establish an, uh, an institution of the sciences and arts with the goals of improving the agriculture, finding a replacement for hops so that they could make beer, finding a proper filtration system for the water so that there's not, you know, as much upset tummies. Did the uh, hops come before the filtration system? Because priorities. Right. <laughs> Probably. You know, they were drinking beer back then oh for sure like, uh, like beer and mead and yeah, all the other things. meat is so gross and then the last one was to like they had the priority was also to f- find out how to manufacture gunpowder because they're landlocked right and brit and and you know and england now has is controlling the water so they can't get materials to them it's really not good the institution has four departments mathematics Physics, economics, and literature of the, and the arts. So literature and the arts is one. Mm-hmm. He wanted to create higher education, and the Egyptian Institute was born. At the base of the Great Pyramids of Giza, the French conduct what is believed to have been the first archaeological dig. They measure the stones, pull samples, and write down facts about their findings. Napoleon instructs members of his team to engrave the names of the French soldiers who died in combat onto the inside of the pyramid to honor them. Does How that fucking disrespect? Does that not make you so mad? It's so fucking mad. He's like, crawl in here. The audacity of white men. And carve your name. It's so sad. It's so sad. It's so sad. The French are becoming more and more disrespectful to the local religions and customs. For example, the Muslim Egyptians are not thrilled that the French are bringing wine and other undesirable habits to their lands. Sure. Also, the French at this time are Catholic, right? Probably. I don't know. I'm going to say Catholic. Final answer. Protestant? Protestant's not my final answer. (laughs) So an uprising occurs among the Egyptian people... And in protest, they demand that the French leave at once. Protesters break through the gate and swarm the French camp. Five scholars and 300 soldiers are killed. Napoleon cuts the city off completely and imposes military rule, which, of course, goes great all the time. Sure. Order is established, but everything is extremely shaky. So he hears that the Mameluk and Turkish troops are gathering in Syria for an attack. So the Turkish and Ottoman Empire hold power in the surrounding regions around Egypt and aren't thrilled to hear that France has come in to invade their turf. Mm -hmm. Napoleon wants to institute the attack himself instead of waiting for them to attack first. So he's like, okay, here we go. We're going to come up with a plan. 
we're going to shoot first. But most disputes die and no one shoots. Yeah. Except Napoleon, who's going to shoot first. Correct. So in East Syria, he starts on his plan to build the canal through Egypt. The task, however, appears to be harder than originally thought. Calculations conclude that it will take huge excavations, lots of money, and years of hard work to conclude. He and his troops march forward into Syria, where they take Arisha, Gaza, and Jaffa. The people of Jaffa were then ordered by Napoleon to be executed. All of them. Oh, good. Many were killed by gunshots, but when the ammunition uh, ran out, bayonets were used. Fuck a white man. After uh, a few easy wins, Napoleon and his army are met with anger and brute force from the opposing side. There are days where Napoleon is losing 10,000 soldiers per day. The French army is running low on supplies. It's not good. Um, They no longer rule the seas, and so they're landlocked completely. Each time a French ship attempts to deliver supplies, the British are there to meet them head on. This creates a huge problem for the French army. Simultaneously, there's a plague that's infecting the army. Bubonic. Blisters pop up, and scholars are dying by the dozens. This disease spreads fast because there isn't an understanding about how it spreads. And eventually, Napoleon requires that all who are infected receive a lethal dosage of opium. Well, if you gotta go. Yeah. Opium wouldn't necessarily be a horrible way. So, but think about it. Now Napoleon has this weird reputation. He's he's killing surrendering soldiers in Jaffa. And now he's performing euthanasia on his own soldiers. <laughs> so, so it, everyone around him is dying. Yeah. And he looks like a lunatic. He does. But he has such a... He has such a, a reputation anyway. Like, nobody's heard of this. Right. You know? Like, this doesn't look good for him, but people still remember a lot of other things about him. It's it's interesting. It's fascinating. I love that ex- the, the sole thing that our generation knows about Napoleon is that it has something to do with France and he was short. And that's literally it. Well, and he tried to invade Russia in the winter. Right. Those are the only things. Three things. That I knew. But yeah, now I know this. And so do you. <laughs> and he was even more of an idiot. <laughs> so Abu, Abu, oh, forgive me. Abukir is a city in southern Egypt. Uh, the Turkish army meets the French army there in July of 1799. The Turkish army is crushed by the French, and Napoleon feels confident in his new reputation as a winner. Mm. Woo! In August of 1799, Napoleon decides that it's time to dip out. And he leaves his army behind to go back to France. So he's like the literal worst. He completely abandons his army. For why, though? Like, what's the point? Because he knows he's not going to win and he knows he can go. He's like, it's a lost cause. So, so I'm he's gonna go. throwing a little fit and he's going to go home and abandon all these people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Damn. Yep. So one year after arriving on the continent, he takes a handful of soldiers back to France with him. But besides those on the journey, he doesn't tell a soul. Even his successor, General Klebar, who learns the news from a letter, like he doesn't tell anybody. He's like, by the way, you're in charge. (laughs) 
and I'm halfway Peace. to France by now. Klebar thought that Napoleon would need, uh, would send help or provide a way out. He was like, he'll come back for me. Neither came. Klebar sent a representative to the British to negotiate terms for a French evacuation. The French responded by saying, quote, you must surrender and become prisoners. That is your only option. It becomes more and more obvious how weak the French are becoming. The French now have three enemies, the Ottomans, the Mamanukes, and the English. An Ottoman soldier ends up murdering Klebar. (laughs) So now they don't have a leader at all. So on August 31st, 1801, the French army are finally allowed to go home. They finally surrender. With them, they are allowed to take uh, copies of the artifacts that they found, sketches of temples, animals, documents for those, you know, animals that didn't exist in Europe, plant species, all the cool shit that they found. Uh, But they can't, they can bring like sketches and stuff back, but they're not allowed to bring like everything. Right. After a six week journey, the scholars were quarantined for an additional four weeks in a freezing cold warehouse with no furniture. Doesn't that suck? You're like, I'm going home. <laughs> they didn't even really sign up for this. They were like, no. I mean, we'll go on this ship for, it'll be a cruise for I six know. weeks. We're going to go to Egypt and. And then all of a sudden they're in a warehouse. Right. Shit sucks. Together, the scholars had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to study the country of Egypt. The soldiers fought in a war that got France nowhere. Out of all of these events came two things. Egyptology, the study of Egypt, Uh and the discovery of the Rosetta Stone, which we will talk about. Where we all learn a million different languages. Well, I'm going to cover the Rosetta Stone. I might cover it next week. I might cover it later. I'm not sure. Okay. So you might be like me then. Maybe. Okay. And that is the French campaign of Egypt and Syria. That is fascinating. Very history heavy. Very history heavy. Also, I knew I didn't like Napoleon, and now I have even more ammo. So thank you. I feel like we do need to take just a quick second to... Because they had the big earthquake in Syria and Turkey. Yes, they did. Earlier this year. Yeah. That was just horrific. Yeah, like, really sad. Over 40,000 people, I think, were killed. Yeah. So, you know just kind of keeping Syria and Turkey in in mind while we're talking about them right now. Yes, yes. Okay, so intersections. The most obvious one is that white men should be exercised from (laughs) countries where they don't belong. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think stay in your lane, maybe. That's a really good one. Whether for religious reasons or because it's not your country. Yeah. Stay in your lane. Yeah. There we go. That's a really good one. I really like that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. This is another long one. It is another long one. Way this to could go. be a long episode season. It is. I love that. I love how we're taking turns. We're having so much more fun. I know. <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> so if you have not left us a five-star review, what 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 are you doing? Please do. Please do. Please on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you want to become a Patreon, and if you want to get access to our cocktail recipes and our pairings, head on over to patreon.com. Podcast without an audience. You can donate. We'll send it to you. Yeah. And come hang out with us on Instagram because we're fun. And pod without an odd is where you can find us. Yeah, we need to get better at this. this should be all. I think we're, we're rusty. 
but we'll work on it it's okay we'll practice we've still got a couple of more episodes to go we're relatable okay (laughs) thank you guys so much for i mean really season two has been so much fun and think we just it's just so cool it's so cool thank you guys for everything thanks for being weird with us thanks for getting our jokes thanks for not getting our jokes and telling us that we're done (laughs) right Except for don't do that. It hurts my feelings. (laughs) But thank you guys so much for listening. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at pod without an odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanodd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.